This is a podcast for Functional Ecology, a British Ecological Society publication. So I'm Jane Hill from the University of York and I chair a publications committee at the British Ecological Society. Um, the publications committee is responsible for all publications activities of the society, including uh, our six journals of which Functional Ecology is one of them. And we're always keen to innovate and improve publication processes. And today I'm talking to Chuck Fox about a new study that's about to start at Functional Ecology. Uh, so, hi Chuck, do you want to um, introduce yourself and say what this podcast is going to be about? Yeah, um, so my name is Charles Fox and I'm a professor of evolutionary biology at the University of Kentucky. And I'm also editor of one of the British Ecological Society's journals, Functional Ecology, where I've been working with the journal for many years. And we're beginning uh, this month, in, or this coming month in September, to do an experiment with the journal where we're going to test the consequences of double-blind peer review as compared to the more traditional model of, of single-blind peer review. So can you tell us a little bit about um, what double-blind peer review is and perhaps explain how it differs from the more common models that are used. Yeah, so the model of peer review that the journal has been using since its inception is something we call single-blind peer review. And that's a model where when an author submits a paper, then that paper is sent out to reviewers. The reviewers know the identity of the authors. Uh, so their name is, is listed, say, on the cover page of the manuscript and they're identified when reviewers are invited. We, we generally identify who the, the authors are in the title of, of the paper. The reviewers, however, are, are not identified to authors. They're, they're kept anonymous. And, and the purpose of that is so that reviewers can provide objective feedback without fear of, of creating conflict with the um, people who are authors of the paper. Double-blind peer review, which we're going to be testing, is, is a model where authors are also anonymous to reviewers. Reviewers are invited to review a paper without being told who the authors of that paper are, and when they review the paper, they won't know the identities of the authors. They'll know the title of the paper, and of course they'll have the manuscript, so they'll have the content of the paper, but they'll have to review that independent of knowledge of who wrote that, that manuscript. Can you tell us a little bit about why the trial is being conducted by uh, Functional Ecology, and a bit about what the trial is? There's a pretty widespread perception that scientific publishing is subject to many sorts of biases. Um, when authors submit a paper and identified to reviewers, there's a lot of information that carries with that. You learn, you know, whether the authors are male or female. You, you learn something about the reputation of the authors. If people are at a, a high-profile university or they have a very high-profile reputation in the literature and are known to many people versus other reviewers that have, uh, don't have that uh, reputation or at the high-profile university. And there's concern that, that knowledge about who it is that's an author of the paper can lead to many sorts of biases in the review process. So the reviewers may defer to people who have high-profile reputations in, in the literature. Uh, they may discriminate against different groups of people, so maybe they'll discriminate against uh, authors from developing countries or discriminate against women in the review process. And many of these biases may be completely un unconscious, we're not aware of them, but they still exist and influence how we, we assess a manuscript. And there's a fair bit of evidence from a whole variety of contexts that these biases are real, 
in many aspects of, of our life, in many aspects of, of the way we assess people. Uh, and so we want to know to what extent do those biases influence manuscripts that are, that are submitted to the journal. Um, one, one of our options we could have is we could just switch to being a double-blind uh, journal, but there's also potential consequences of going double-blind. There's an increased workload on editors. For example, we believe it's going to be harder to find reviewers for papers uh, if authors are not being identified, but we don't actually know if that's true. So we want to have as much evidence as we can to what the benefits of switching to double-blind are, primarily in reducing biases against authors, and what the costs of switching to double-blind are, such as for uh, the processes that the journal will undergo, and, and maybe changes in tone of reviews or changes in the ability to recruit reviewers and so on. So our goal is to have uh, evidence-based policy and unfortunately we just don't have many examples in the literature of people who have tested uh, compared directly single-blind versus double-blind at a single journal. There, there are maybe 10 or 12 published studies but they're all fairly small with, with one exception and they all focus on very specific goals such as does the tone of a review change, does the rating given to a manuscript rating given by reviewers to the quality or significance of a manuscript change when the author is identified and not versus not. And there aren't many actual tests of what the specific underlying uh, biases are that are that are being eliminated uh, and what the specific costs are to a journal in terms of say recruitment of reviewers or, or other aspects of our management. Um, so our goal is to have evidence-based policy and, and to have evidence-based policy we need to actually get collect that evidence and so we're doing that experiment. It's important isn't it that um, to remove um, any biases that there might be in in publishing I guess everybody would be very supportive of that um, if there are concerns that certain groups of people are finding it harder to get their papers published in journals. I think it's quite interesting to think about what the costs then might might be so when you're saying about the tone of the review changing why why do you think that might be um well there's a little bit of evidence that that the the way people write reviews uh is, is it changes depending on sort of who they're writing the review for so when let's take a different extreme we're not actually going to be testing open peer review but open peer review is a model of peer review where the reviewers are identified to the author. So nobody's anonymous in the process. The authors are not anonymous, the reviewers are not anonymous. And we know from evidence that when people are identified, the reviewers are identified, they tend to be more positive, more constructive. Being more constructive, of course, is a good thing, but they also tend to be a bit less honest in their criticisms because they're going to be identified as the person making those criticisms. As a journal, we want to know an honest assessment of, of a manuscript. Now, it might be the case going the other way that when, when reviewers don't know who, who the authors are, um, maybe they're, they're actually more critical of the authors, maybe they're less critical of the authors. We don't actually know what to expect because there's not much evidence of that. We do know there's, there's a little bit of evidence that the ratings on, given to papers doesn't change when papers are double-blind. Um, but there's really just very, very little assessment of, of what's going to happen in, in the process. There, there are a lot of things that we just don't know about what happens when a journal goes double blind. 
most journals that have adopted double blind as a model, they switch wholeheartedly from single blind to double blind. And, and many things change. We see uh, the types of authors that submit might change. Various things about the process uh, the journal undergoes have changed. But all of those things, it's unclear what is cause and effect. What, what is the, what is the, is happening because the community perceives the change in the journal and the community changes their behavior versus the actual model the journal has used has had consequences that change uh, various underlying procedures. Um, so we don't know, we don't know those. We don't know what the cause and effects are. So doing a randomized trial like we're doing will hopefully allow us to identify uh, what is actually influenced directly by the peer review model versus what is influenced by, say, community perceptions of, of the journal that are themselves influenced by the models of peer review the journal uses. So, so could you give us a bit of an indication about the sorts of data that you're going to collect to examine some of these changes that you might observe? We're, we're going to collect quite a lot of information. We already track sort of everything that happens in the, in the peer review process. When letters are sent out to reviewers, we know how quickly it takes reviewers to respond and whether they agree to review or don't agree to review. We then know how long it takes them to submit their, their review. Uh, when the review is submitted, it's given a, a ranking. We, we ask uh, about the, the significance, importance, and quality of the work. So reviewers are giving an objective score, hopefully objective uh, numerical score on their perspective on the paper. And then, of course, we have the reviewer comments, which we can look at those reviewer comments. We can see how extensive the comments are, what the tone of the comments are, the type of language that they use in their review. Uh, we know whether they recommended we accept the paper or not. Uh, and so we'll have all of this information about what the reviewers are doing. Then we're going to query reviewers with a survey, uh, and we're going to ask them, did they know who the authors were on a paper? Uh, in ecology, of course, a lot of people work in field systems. They work with organisms where they become specialists in. They have reputations for working in different systems. Uh, and so if a manuscript comes in working on a particular study system or at a particular location, it may actually not be very well blinded, even if the authors are not identified, because we know who works in that system. We know who works with those organisms. So we're going to ask reviewers, did you know who the authors were? And if you did, who were they? And then, of course, we can compare that to who the authors really were uh, to see how well papers are blinded. We're also going to survey authors about their perspective on the process. Uh, and we're going to get a variety of data about a lot of uh, this data we already have about authors and, and reviewers. But we're going to know whether authors and reviewers are male or female. We're going to know what institutions they're at. We can then look at the profile of those institutions. We have data on the reputation of authors and reviewers, for example, their publication history and how well those, those authors and reviewers are cited. So we're going to have quite a lot of information about the individuals so we can then ask questions like, when author identities are not blinded, reviewers know who the authors are, do they defer to people that are at high-profile institutions? Do people write kinder reviews when they're reviewing papers written by graduate students than they do when they're writing papers by more senior scientists. One of the things we, we actually, I, I actually expect is that many people actually are just more polite when they write uh, reviews of young scientists than they do when they write reviews of, of more senior people, uh, when they're at least anonymous. 
So I guess it'd be quite interesting to see, um, well, first of all, I guess whether people are actually um, trying to work out in the blinded studies, whether they're trying to work out who the authors are. And then I guess whether or not they do get, um, they do predict that correctly or not. Yeah, I, I think a lot of reviewers will speculate as they're reading about who the authors are. And, and a lot of them will believe with confidence that they know who the authors are. We, we see this occasionally when people will appeal a decision, say an author will appeal a decision on a manuscript, and they'll say, well, I know so-and-so reviewed it, and they have this grudge against me, and I will go look at who the reviewers were, and that's not actually who reviewed the paper. So yeah, yeah. I think people do tend to make assumptions about who's reviewing their paper, and we wouldn't expect that same thing when reviewers are, are reading a paper for which the authors are not identified, they're going to make assumptions about who those authors are. I know of at least, I know there's a couple of studies that have asked that question in, say, economics or other fields where there have been fairly small data sets. But what they found is that a fairly large pe percentage of reviewers reviewing anonymized papers believe they know who the authors are and their success rate at correctly identifying the authors is not very good. I expect ecology to be maybe a little bit more successful at that because of the nature of study systems and study organisms. But I also expect that um, the ability to identify authors is not going to be nearly as good as people think uh, they are at identifying those authors. Yeah, and I guess and I guess the other thing is if you don't know who the authors are, maybe very quickly you stop wondering uh, who they are and you just review it as you would review um, uh well, as, well as, maybe it will have less of a, uh, an impact than, than we think, which is often people assume that changes to an established way of doing things are going to be quite major, and often they're not. Right, right. One of the other biases that I, I'm particularly interested in is whether there's discrimination against people from developing countries. And, and I could see our results going two ways. One is that reviewers reading papers by authors from developing countries uh, tend to be a little less uh, supportive of that research because they're making assumptions about the quality of the work based on the locations of the authors. But I could also see it go in the opposite way where people are a bit more sympathetic to authors writing in a second language. Um, you know, I was born and raised speaking English and so I ought to be able to write English very well. If you are a Chinese author writing in English, I'm extremely impressed when your paper is very well written uh, because that's got to be much harder to do. And so I could see that sort of bias actually going opposite from the predicted direction, being a little bit more uh, positive and constructive when you know that somebody is writing in their non-native language. So can you t tell us a little bit more about the overall design of the study? Um, so you've already talked a little bit about the fact that you've already been tracking this information. So you've already got the the before information. Have you essentially got a a, a backy design? You know, before after control intervention design. Um, so what what we're doing is a, a randomized trial where every manuscript that is submitted is going to be assigned to either uh, a double blind treatment or a single blind treatment. So uh, each manuscript is only going to be a single data point. It's going to end up in one treatment or the other. And if it's in the single blind treatment, it's going to be treated just like every manuscript we've handled for the journal uh, for the last decade. It, it's going to be sent out to reviewers. 
reviewers are going to know who the authors are because they'll be identified in the invitation email. When they receive the paper, it'll have a cover page. The cover page will identify the authors, just like we've done traditionally at the journal, and like most journals, not all, but most journals do. Papers that go into the double-blind treatment, uh, which will be half of, of all research papers we receive, um, the cover page will not be present when it's sent to reviewers, and when reviewers are invited to review, they will not have uh, they will not know the identity of the authors. They'll get the title of the paper, but they won't get information about, about the authors. So the only way that reviewers will know in the double-blind treatment who the authors are is if they can pick up clues in the manuscript that identify the authors. To implement this, what we're doing is requiring that all papers be submitted to the journal exactly the same. They'll be submitted as if they're going to be reviewed double-blind. So cover... Uh, cover pages will be submitted as separate documents. Those cover pages will include the acknowledgments. We also instructing authors not to use language in their paper in any manuscript in either treatment that uh, intentionally identifies themselves. So for example, if you're referring to references, don't refer to my previous research on this topic. Instead, just refer to previous research on this topic and then list, list citations. Um, We're not requiring authors to anonymize their study sites or study organisms or anything like that. We want to implement double-blind as if people were writing the best paper they can write, they're just not identifying themselves personally. Uh, because if we were to adopt double-blind as an actual model for the journal in the future, that's what we would, would need to do. We need papers to be written as if as they're going to be published. We just want to identify or remove from those manuscripts the, the information that could lead to uh, some sorts of biases. So can you tell us a little bit about what a reviewer would expect? So you've talked a little bit about what the authors are, are doing in the two treatments. What about, what about the reviewers? So from the reviewer perspective, the only thing that's going to be different is when you receive an invitation from the journal to review a paper, you will not be told who the author is. And when you receive the manuscript, it will not have a cover page or acknowledgments on it. Everything else about the process will be exactly the same. Um, no differences at all besides those two. Um, after you review the paper, we will send you a survey and ask you a little bit about yourself and your perspective on, on peer review. And then we'll ask you if you could identify the authors of the paper and if so, who those, who those authors were. And then we're going to compare that in our data set to, to figure out sort of on average, how good are people at de-anonymizing papers uh, when we did not provide them author information. So the, the, the effect for reviewers is going to be really, really fairly trivial. You'll, you really will see nothing different, except you won't know the identity of the authors of the paper. So, so Chuck, do you know if there's any evidence that reviewers' um, behavior in terms of whether they accept an invitation to review a paper um, changes for either single or double blind review processes? I don't know of any evidence about that at all. Of all the papers I've looked at that have done trials, generally fairly small trials, but uh, trials similar to what we're doing, um, I've not seen any evidence uh, addressing that point. I am worried that we will find that people, I think this is true. I think it's true for me personally. I suspect it's true for most people. When you get a paper to review, you not only look at the abstract of the, of the paper, but you also look at who wrote that paper. So I worry that reviewers will be less likely to accept 
an invitation to review if they don't know who the authors are. Uh, the journal already has a problem, and this is a widespread problem throughout the, the ecological uh, literature, that editors are having more trouble finding reviewers than we used to have. Uh, there's huge numbers of manuscripts being published, uh, and people are being asked to review lots of manuscripts, and, and people are declining a lot more often than they used to. So if we implement a new policy that is going to make it even harder for us to find reviewers, that's going to add delays to the publication process uh, and, and reduce our ability to get the sorts of reviewers that we want to be reviewing manuscripts. But we don't actually know if that's true or not. You know, as you say, and it's hard to get, that's one thing that all the journals are struggling with, so um, we don't want to be doing anything really. An editor doesn't want to be doing anything really that makes it even harder to secure a um, reviewer, do they? No, exactly, exactly. So you mentioned something earlier about um, conflicts of interest. Do you know whether that's... An, an issue. Um, do you know whether in in other other journals that do the double blind peer review that they they have a concern about conflict of interest because obviously the reviewer can't declare any potential conflict if they don't know who who the authors are. Yeah, I don't know how other journals that have gone double blind deal with that. Um, we one of the aspects of our experiment that we're not blinding is editors are going to know who the authors are. We talked about whether we could blind editors uh, to author identities, but then we became worried that we actually might just invite the authors to review their own paper if we don't know who the authors are. Uh, but we're, we're going to be relying on editors to make decisions about whether people have conflicts of interest. That's a little bit difficult to do because, of course, editors don't know all the authors. They don't know all who the author's collaborators are, but they do know who they're, they're uh, citing and who they're co-authoring manuscripts with, at least what's cited in, in the document. So we're going to be relying on editors to do some of that policing of making sure that we invite the right people who don't have conflicts of interest. So you're, you're going to run the um, trial for the study for two years. So, so why, that, why that length of time? Yeah, so we, we need to have a reasonably large amount of data to be able to address the questions we want. The, uh, many of the effect sizes we expect to observe, if there, if there really are real uh, effects, are probably going to be fairly small. Um, so the journal right now re is receiving about 1,400 submissions a year, and so roughly half of those could go into each treatment. A fairly large percentage of those actually don't get sent out for review, so we might expect to get about 400 papers per year into each treatment. Now that sounds like a lot of papers. That's a total of 800 papers, 400 in, in each treatment. may sound like a lot, but when you're trying to pick up effect sizes on the order of, say, a 5% difference rate in, say, the proportion of papers recommended for acceptance, um, it's very hard to detect those, those, those kind of small effect sizes with a data set of, of 400 papers per treatment. There's an immense amount of background variation here. Papers vary immensely in quality. Uh, they, reviewers vary immensely in, in how they write reviews and the types of things they say about papers. And so with all that noise in the background, it's very hard to pick up small effect sizes. So over a two-year period, I'm hoping that we'll get roughly about 800 papers per treatment. 
um, and that would be uh, hopefully a large enough of, uh, sample size to detect the effect sizes that we have in mind, which are effect sizes of between 5 and 10% differences uh, in, in some cases. So can you tell us a little bit about when we might hear about the findings from your study and how you're going to let people know what you found? Yeah, so the hope is that this will lead to a series of publications addressing a variety of different questions. So, for example, addressing uh, uh, biases against author I identity, so testing for differences in outcomes between men and women or differences uh, that are caused or, or, or predictable by the uh, institution that a, a researcher is at. Uh, we expect to have a produce a, a manuscript on uh, recruitment of reviewers. We'll probably have a manuscript on uh, attitudes of authors to the process because we're going to survey our authors. There's going to be a variety of different uh, manuscripts that come out of this. They might come out as editorials in the journal. They might come out as research manuscripts. That's still all to be decided. But the, the society has been very supportive and the journal has been uh, has emphasized through the entire process that we want to make all of the data we get from this public with the, of course, caveat of, of personally identifying information won't be available to the public. That's going to be kept confidential. But we want all of our results to be public. We want to use our experiment to get as much information as we can that will guide both the British Ecological Society, but also other publishers and, and journals uh, and help them make decisions about what the causes and consequences of double blind or what the, con there's no causes there, but the consequences of double blind will be for their processes and, and the assessment of, of manuscripts that they're handling. So that's really interesting to talk to you, Chuck, and, and good luck with the trial, which uh, is starting um, shortly. I look forward to hearing the results. Yeah, well, thank you for talking to us about this trial today. And, and I especially want to thank uh, all the people that are working at Functional Ecology, uh, Emily and Jenny, who run the journal from behind the scenes. And of course, we have a really large number of volunteer associate editors for the journal, all of who have been very supportive and are going to be involved in, in this since they're the people that are inviting reviewers for manuscripts. Um, so thanks to all of them uh, for all the hard work they're doing to make this experiment work. And of course, thanks to the British Ecological Society for supporting us. It's, um, it's been asking a lot to, for a journal or a society to use one of its journals to do an experiment. Uh, and they've allowed us to do this and they've been supportive. Um, the British Ecological Society really is interested in, in the outcomes of, of this data uh, for the purpose of, of making the journals the best they can be and the most fair they can be. So thanks to all of them for, for all their uh, support.